Are you experienced? Have you ever been experienced? with another episode of The Anarchist Experience, episode 462, a.k.a. Year 9, week 38. Coming at you this week, as always, I am your host, Mr. Richie Rich, along with... MC and... KS. And one more we have... So Gandhi. Yay! <laughs> and since this is your regularly scheduled Saturday broadcast, we are on Clubhouse. The, the house in the Clubhouse is The Anarchist Experience... Or you can at me at Riches for Rich, R-I-C-H, the number four, R-I-C-H. And when I open up the room or the club or the house or whatever they're calling it, um, I will click the button uh, to invite you in to speak. Uh, and that goes for you as well, Sugandi. If you're on Clubhouse, you know, when we're done here, just go ahead and join join the club and you can participate more often uh, for whatever it is you happen to be should the, you know, should the mood strike you. Uh, that being said, what is going on with you guys this week? Uh, maybe another longer introduction to our guest and what she's even doing here. You don't have to if you don't want to, but uh, you can introduce yourself or we can just start talking about, I don't know, our differences in socialism, communism, <laughs> philosophy. Or <laughs> Hi, everyone. So my name is Sogandi and I'm from India. And my journey in a libertarian sphere begins when when I was age of 16. I actually wanted to get into the administration of the government before, and I wanted to like change the world, like, yeah, I'm going to change the poor, and I would win the world, kind of a thingy. I had it in my brain. And I started preparing for it, and once I noticed that... Um, there was like oh um there was a high taxation increase in india and there wasn't a, they told like it was increased for the infrastructure development in india but uh, the roads which where i used to stay and i walk on had a lot of potholes then i started questioning my professors and teachers telling them why there are so many potholes and why am i even paying so much taxes for uh, infrastructure development then uh, my professor literally told me like if you uh, don't shut your mouth like I'm not gonna give you the marks and you would <laughs> fail in your exams so I was like wow. okay. <laughs> yeah so I used to write all the socialistic stuff in my exams in order to get a good rank and uh, yes I am the topper of my university too. <laughs> <laughs> top <Yeah>. socialist <laughs> yes <laughs> Yeah, so that was when I met the Libertarian group of Students for Liberty, and then I started my journey. And so I worked on various things on like a health policy, education sphere, as well as like the property rights are the my most interesting stuff I have, have done right now. So right now I am into uh, much more into the organization building. So I started my own fellowship in India, which actually critiques the government policies. And apart from that, uh, I am part of Liberty International and I work with an IT company uh, fundraising for the private philanthropy. 
So that was an introduction about me. And right. you're hanging well, out with uh, MC and KS because later on today you're giving a talk? Yes. Uh, I am working on a project with um, Ken on uh, the adventures of Jonathan Gullible and how do we actually do the storytelling to take it to the uh, graduate students. So my thing would be on the importance of storytelling and how the impactful the project has been until today. Nice. Well, welcome. Uh, and again, I hope we have you back, you know, sooner than later or whenever you, whenever the mood strikes you. Um, Pre-show, as we're warming up for this, you mentioned the, the property rights thing, and I said, you're going to hate me in a few minutes. So, <laughs> KS and MC were curious as to why. So, let's let's get into that and see where the conversation takes us, shall we? Yeah, sure. Okay. Right. Well, you've got me curious. I will, I will do my best to summarize. This is so contentious. Right, that on the uh, on the radio show Free Talk Live, right there's there's an active back and forth between myself and one of the other hosts, Peakless Mountaineer, um, on like the establishment of rights and property rights, and I win um, anyway. But this this is why I said like you know most people don't like hearing what I have to say, him included. Um, but I I believe that I am correct, and so. It starts with, there are no rights, and the term rights is a useful tool to explain a concept, right? Like, you, you don't, and there, there are no rights for you to have. We just say, like, well, you know, natural rights, uh, heavenly rights, you know, those types of things as a way to describe a concept. And so I said, like, if you, if you acknowledge that there are no rights then the way that property rights are attained and retained is one of two ways, right? Either, either everyone around you agrees that that particular piece of property is yours or you have the ability to defend it against aggression. That's it. Those are the two. So whether it be land, cars, water bottles, what the, you know, what the commies, commies will call personal property, I don't make a, I don't make a distinction. So you have to either get everyone to agree that it's yours somehow, or you have to be able to defend it against aggression, uh, else you lose it uh, through conquest. And Peakless Mountaineer, um, he has a theory of property rights that says you have to mix your labor with the land for it to be yours. And my general objection to that is that it makes it uh, impossible to keep land pristine as like a nature preserve should you want it, right? Like that's, that's my biggest objection. And so I have referred to his uh, property rights theory as the, uh, the lawnmower method of property rights because, you know, mowing the, for him, mowing the grass is sufficient to mix your labor with the land uh, and establish that that land is yours. And my contention... What if, what if I mow my neighbor's land? Yeah, that's a fucking good point, MC. I'm not going to defend his position because I already disagree with it. You know? And he, because he left it growing pristinely for a while. Well, and that's the other thing. So, again, if, if we want to tear down his position, fine. But I would say call into Free Talk Live tonight because he'll be on. Um, but generally, he would say it's whoever establishes it first, right? So your neighbor already has the land established. Like, it's already his. Um, so mowing his lawn doesn't count. And where that ends... 
according to Peakless, it has to be reclaimed by nature. And the, I don't know what the fuck that means. You know, like how long, you know, if, as long as there's a man-made structure up on that piece of property, no matter how many years after that property owner has perished, right, if, if there was no, you know, legal or rightful transfer of property beyond that, it has to sit fallow uh, until it's reclaimed by nature and then someone else can homestead it again. Again, I'm not here to defend his position, but that's how he would likely answer yours, MC. I am here to defend the position um, that either either other people agree that it's yours, right? You're in the neighborhood and they go like, yep, that's Jim's farm, right? Or when the bandits come to take Jim's farm, Jim is able to repel that aggression. And if he's unable to repel the aggression and survives, right, then he would subsequently go after it and try to reclaim it, you know, through through that conquest again. But he's got to like, yeah. he's got to get rid of the bad guys. My, my problem with this conversation so far is that we're talking about things that don't really exist anymore. Um, so, for example, I could just say, well, none of the land in the U.S. Is, is owned by anybody because the government can just take it whenever they want. So you don't really own it. You're going to pay taxes on it. Like These are things that are just reality for most people. They don't have a concept of this is my land and I own it and I'm going to defend it and whatever. It's just... It's not something people even think about. They, when they think of home ownership, they think they're going to buy their home and then they're going to pay taxes on their home, and, and that's just the way it is. Well, amongst the Maybe libertarian community, though, they, we, we consider that a bad thing, right? Well, sure, but we're nowhere, we're nowhere near to the point where we can even talk about uh, property rights because we, we're not in control of the government. We don't have any uh, way to stand against it should the government want your land well but you would um, have to that's my point right if the government comes for your property and you're like this is fucking mine right you have to defend it that's the bottom you don't line. have to you could just pay taxes and then whatever well <laughs> you know it's like you don't have to do anything you could just then it's then do what it everybody else yours. does if well, that's my point yeah everybody's okay with, with everybody's okay with that kind of reality that they live in and so the so the debate about you know is it you know what are you gonna how are you gonna defend your land well well nobody's doing that they're just paying off the 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 crooks and and to keep them away and, yeah and most people are just okay with that and if most people are okay with that the reality is you are correct the state owns the land uh -huh. right they they have attained it through conquest they defended it against any sort of aggression right no one no one else is coming to take it from the state right. And, and they are usurping productivity from it because no one's willing to take it back. Mm -hmm. Right? That I, I'm okay then. Like, that's the situation. Now, if you want to change that, right, it happens one of two ways. Either other people agree with you that, no, that's not the state's. This, this is your farm, Jim, and help you defend it when, the, you know, the tax assessor comes or the SWAT team comes or the, uh, what is the, the Bureau of Land Management shows up. Right, the, the, the BLM before the BLM, when it came to the Bundy Ranch, right? Like, when they show up, they have to be considered a threat and they have to be repelled. Well, 
by by the way there is a different situation altogether in india regarding this so basically the tribal regions or the tribes uh, in the mountain regions are like they don't have a property rights uh, like we were using the gps system to track whether the land belongs to them or not but uh, uh, government tied hands with the crony capitalist and they started digging the mountains for the bauxite and the minerals over there okay. and uh, the tribes started losing their livelihoods because the lands were the only livelihood for them yeah. so in this case like how no, do it's we the same thing it's them? the same thing right guns lots of guns no 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 let's, <laughs> let's, let's break it down right the the tribal the tribal people uh, use the land but they don't have anything that says that they own the land so no one recognizes that they own it right they don't have that agreement amongst others that everyone agrees that this is tribal land right and then you have an aggressor the government coming in to take property from them in the terms of minerals and whatever from the land right now if if they want to retain ownership of that land they have to repel that threat if they fail to repel that threat you know by default right def- it 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 defaults to de facto goes to the state and the state's going to take it and you can you can raise the flag you know and and shout from the rooftops and blare the trumpets and say like no that was ours but nobody agrees with you and you weren't able to defend it it's not yours anymore it's gone it belongs to them until you go take it back yeah i totally agree makes sense it does and, yeah yeah and do you think uh, uh, like um, there should be an established law which actually protects the citizens but there isn't anything as such so how do you think like the people can rebel against the government and take their uh, property from them so i would no. say i would say no for the libertarian position no to the establishment of law right because that's you know there there ought to be a law that doesn't solve anything and it all it does is reduce mm-hmm. the question to who's going to enforce it right so if you establish a law and then you establish a state to enforce the law and you charge the state with defending the property then you're right back to where we were before which is you have a means to defend the property and the means you chose is the state right so it's still about defending the property if there's I mean, if there if there's a property dispute with the tribes and someone else right the state is going to step in and say no 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 we recognize the tribes and your land will be secure because if the someone else decides to pursue and take it right this the state will intervene with violence on your behalf there there has been success in india with using gps to mark the places where they they say their land is and they've had campaigns of embarrassing the the politicians uh when they come and take it and and it's not really forcing them but but you know using their because they're in a political position they don't want to look bad and so yep. if you make them look bad while they're taking the land then they can go oh okay you're right this land is yours and so they have had success doing uh things like that okay and that um, success is one of two things getting the politicians to recognize that the land is yours so now mm-hmm. they're in agreement mm-hmm. right or through a uh embarrassing campaign to defend the land making the politicians back off it is still yeah. one of two things oh yeah i'm i'm okay. not disagreeing with you but well that that um, was my premise and you said i was wrong no no i'm just okay. saying that 
that it, it's it's not always uh, re- resorting to uh, force or violence. Um, it it can be through the political process, or a, a political process doesn't always mean using laws and stuff. Okay. Uh, it, it can it can just simply be um, using social. Yeah, uh, well, Sugandi so. asked about laws, and I never said force or violence. I said must be su- successfully defended. That mm-hmm. looks different to a lot of people, right? Violence is the easy answer because that's what the state will do. But it's either recognized by all or successfully defended. That's it. Yeah. That's how you establish yeah. property rights. And if, and if you start with that premise, right, then then you can work up from there in terms of, like, building a libertarian society around those things right yeah and the the u.s constitution was uh originally supposed to be you know protecting uh life and property Um, and they changed it they've gone so far from that because they simply ignore the parts that that don't give them power well and they changed it they changed property to uh pursuit of happiness like property was in the draft pursuit of happiness was in the the published paper well, my happiness is property, so. <laughs> <laughs> Same thing. <laughs> to, to you, but my point being that it was it was purposefully changed to ignore this one, to ignore this particular example. Sure. Anything else on property rights, or are we like on the same page and you're not mad at me? Would 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 you like to uh, add anything, Sigandi, about? No, I think uh, it is pretty much clear from our conversation and how it goes. Uh, so I completely agree on you, with you on this. Okay. Moving on then. What else you want to talk about? <laughs> what is going on in the world? Do Do you want? I don't know much about it. I haven't watched the the Tucker Carlson um, uh, Putin interview yet. Yeah, I didn't watch the interview. I just I read some. Um, I read some articles about it and you know it's like putin was in charge the whole time and dominated tucker carlson and look at that traitor and so on and so forth. i think okay so i don't want to i don't want to step on your toes but t- to pivot away from that briefly uh, i think what's what's more important in the news this week is joe biden being declared mentally unfit to stand trial <laughs> <laughs> but still holding the office of the president like does that that bothered me more than Tucker Carlson talking to Putin. It didn't bother me because that's been the s- state of the the union for you know since he got in. So, I mean, he 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 won an election by hiding in his basement. That that you know, <laughs> what this isn't surprising. Okay. I, I get it. it's not surprising, but they you know they came out and said it from his side, <laughs> like his doctors. That's his best defense. <laughs> you know. And it was the justification for not prosecuting him for these, uh, you know, having classified documents and being intentionally right. in possession of a tech. Well, he couldn't have been intentionally doing it because he's too old to really know what he intends to do. <laughs> yeah. So they, they, they hang Trump for having the classified documents, right? Like, you're fit to stand trial, so you can't be president. And then Biden does the same thing. Go, he, he's incompetent. There's no way that this guy can do anything in the court, you know. But you, but because you can't be tried in court, you can be president. That's that's the clown world as it currently exists. So the irony is that Biden now, to prove that he's competent, has to stand trial for um, 
has to it has to go to trial for intentionally. He has to say, "I really was intentional in doing this." <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> committing this. I totally crime. did that on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> but don't put me in jail. I'm the president. <laughs> it was a part of my well post official acts as vice president. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the other thing with them declaring <laughs> that, that that there's no um, there's no immunity to the office of president. You know, Trump tweeted out, and I agree, and I'm looking forward to it. Um, it's just going to be retaliation after retaliation. I hope, right? When when executives leave office and their their opponents get uh, get control, it's like now that you're out, we can now put you behind bars for violating whatever it is. You know, because well, there's no that, presidential. That should immunity. serve as a caution to be more careful in what you do when you're in office, knowing that you're not going to be totally immune. Well, that yeah, and that should have been the case to begin with. That you know, yeah, that's that's dumb, and I don't know how they snuck that in, or why the American people have allowed it for you know two hundred some odd years or whatever, two hundred fifty years almost. I right? remember when uh, George Bush Senior was leaving office, and I think the. The day before he left office, he pardoned everyone in the Iran-Contra scandal who was under investigation because it would have led to him. Uh, but by uh, pardoning Casper Weinberger and, and a whole bunch of others, um, he then therefore couldn't be prosecuted for his own actions in the Iran-Contra scandal. I might be too young for this, but was, was it Nixon or someone thereafter that said, well, if the president does it, it's illegal? Oh, yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised that Nixon would have said something like that. I know but, it's uh, way before Trump or or Bush or Biden or Obama or Clinton, right? Be, and, but it was said with this foundation of— I, I only remember actually the, that kind of phrase when, when Trump said it. I, I don't okay. recall it. You know, I'm old enough to remember some of these things that it may have popped up. Um, I know Nixon made every effort to— Used the law in his favor, but I think that he he acknowledged by resigning that um, they were going to come after him uh, for all these things that were egregious uh, cover-ups and um, outside the law. Well, and knowing what we know now, that may that may have been uh, wise at the time because it avoids the impeachment, right? The way the way the law was written um, and the way that the Trump team was arguing it was. If the Trump, if the president does something that's you know deemed to be illegal, he must be impeached, and once impeached and removed from office, he can be charged as a civilian, right? So if 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 Nixon you know uh, resigns prior to being removed from office, right, then then that clause is not affected or affected. No, he activated. he was uh, he was. Still vulnerable for prosecution okay. after he left office, but his saving grace was that Spiro Agnew, his vice president, was convicted of corruption and out of office. So he got to appoint Gerald Ford as his vice president, and the, I'm sure the condition of his appointment was, well, when you take office, you'll pardon me, and, and Gerald Ford did. Okay. So that's why he didn't face any prosecution afterwards, not because I, you know, yeah, Gerald Ford made it. Well, we're going to heal the nation. We're going to pardon him from all the potential prosecutions that were going to come forward. And Biden won't heal Trump and heal the nation, or pardon Trump and heal the nation. <laughs> Definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> the more division, the better. All right. And, and in some ways, that's it's it's good because um, 
that, you know, they're, they're so focused on damaging each other that, that people like me just get to sit here and do nothing. All right. Well, well back it's to the scary, Tucker. too, because then we, we, we still have this uh, gloomy prospect of an election coming up with just these, these two crooks in the, <laughs> as the, the two options, and we don't... Yeah, that's that's well. Uh, well, I mean, the, you know, the scary thing is who. Which, I mean, which crook are they going to? Yeah, yeah. Which <laughs> yeah, which crook are they going to put in place of Biden? Is there a, is there a chance for Robert Kennedy to shine now by comparison? Yeah. Oh still, yeah. They're name but, dropping um, Michelle Obama. Yeah, yeah. Which would be fun, I guess. <laughs> what? <Would> it? <laughs> I don't. Know. Then we're going to have to see the birth certificate again to see if she was born male. Sorry, I don't know if you were aware of that. That's not a constitutional requirement anyway, so I don't think that they would require this birth certificate. The matter with Barack Obama was that, uh, was he born a citizen? And that's a constitutional condition for president. But would he be the first man or the first lady? (laughs) That's still not a constitutional requirement. Well, but it, it does beg the question on whether or not she would be the first lady. Well, okay, it's for protocol then, but not yeah. for legality. The conspiracy theorists want to know. I'm not sure if you were aware of that little conspiracy theory, chaos. No, I no? just not. Okay. I'm there's, sure he's heard it, but... No, there's he, a whole, there's yeah, a whole contingent it. on the right that believe that M- Michelle Obama is born male and the kids are adopted. It, yeah, I've, I've heard. Okay. And that's uh, why they're pushing all the, the trans stuff. Oh, I see. <laughs> so it make her more acceptable. Okay. There, there was go. a... There was this really good story that happened. Um, it's it's starting to gain a little bit of steam, but there was this guy who was he was a total leftist socialist and just ate up everything and uh, that was leftist. And then uh, one of his friends that was you know right leaning gave him a book and just said, "Here, read this." You know, didn't pressure him or anything. The Adventures of Jonathan Gullible. No. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so, so he gets this book and he opens it and reads, reads the first paragraph and he couldn't finish, he couldn't go to the next paragraph. He, he, he was just super distraught and, and uh, annoyed and, and he just thought whoever wrote this book must be totally evil, right? Okay. And so he set it aside. But then later he, he thought to himself, like, what the heck is wrong with me? Why, why did this hurt so bad? Just, it's just a book, you know, it's not going to change my mind or doesn't, it's not going to hurt my feelings or, you know. What, why is it affecting me this way? Why, why is it so hard to read this book? And, uh, and so with that simple question, let him to, you know, try again. And the same thing happened again. He read another paragraph. Oh, I can't read this anymore. Throw it aside. But he kept going back to it. And, and eventually he got through the whole freaking book. And uh, by the time he got to the end of the book, he, he realized that, uh, you know, he was mentally compromised and he was basically in a cult. And, and the people that he was following are are the evil ones, you know, totally evil. Um, he's he's not saying he's a uh, he's for the right at this point. He's just like the cult that I was in is a cult, you know. <laughs> right. And 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 he was brainwashed. And uh, and uh, so I reached out to him and and I wanted to find out which book it was. And I found out it's Irreversible Damage. It's the one about transgenderism. Um, and so for him. Just being able to open his mind and think, oh, is this good for kids or not? Like, it should be obvious. Like, if you had a kid, would you want to chop off their genitals? Like, 
wow, that's that's extreme. That's, that's the that's the most. You know, I mean, if you were going to torture somebody, that'd be like the most extreme thing you could possibly do. And and leftists are doing this to their own kids. You know, <laughs> yes. Like, <laughs> like what? What kind of world are we in? But um, but that's the power of of a cult, and that's the power of brainwashing people, and and collectivism, and uh, so. Anyway, he's he's now that he's read that book, he's like ravenous for other things that he's never considered before. So I sent him a few books to read. Nice. And one of them one of them was about uh, climate change, just because that's the biggest scam, worldwide scam that's going on right now, and I want everybody to know it's a scam. Um, so so he he thanks me for that, and uh, you know I thanked him for you know <laughs> giving one book a chance uh, <laughs> that he normally would would think is is from the evil right, you know. So I will to... I will touch on the transgender thing briefly because again, I hang out at Free Talk Live and even though she's currently in prison, um Aria is our trans co-host, born mm-hmm. male, right? And she's cool, so whatever. Oh yeah. yeah. Uh, I have nothing against trans people. Understood. Um, what I just have a problem with with people uh, targeting kids. I, so, I got it. But let me oh, let yeah. me let me summarize her position because I I think she's on record um, as saying this, right? In, in as far as her experience is concerned, she would have preferred the ability to transition sooner mm-hmm. because she knew long beforehand that she was trans and wanted to okay. be female. And so in her mind, she was forced to go through puberty and, you know, all of the um changes that a male body would undergo that she is now having to spend time energy and money to reverse as best she can like she dropped twenty thousand dollars on voice surgery and i told like to be honest i can't tell the difference you know when when you said twenty thousand dollars i expected a dramatic change and there was nothing dramatic about the change like it might have dropped it a few octaves or whatever but not twenty thousand dollars worth of voice change Right, she goes like, "Yeah, I'm a little disappointed in that too." I'm like, "Well, but it's your money, right?" So, she, you know, for her, um, giving p- younger, giving people of a younger age—I don't know if you want to say children, right—who are certain that they are trans at that age, the ability to choose how they transition into adulthood would be a lesson in individual freedom, as opposed to parental control. Right. Uh, sure. There, there's, there's a lot, lot of things besides that's, that's uh, uh how, how should I start this? But, but okay. Like the, all, the trans, all, all the, they the need issue. is a doctor willing to do it. Right. And you go like, Nope, I'm a girl. And the doctor goes, okay, you're a girl. Let's fix it. You know? <laughs> and that's, and that's an individual making an individual uh, choice, which again, okay, aligns for, with libertarian first, principles. First things first, if they can raise the money on their own, Fine. I don't care what a young person does to their own body. Um, the the, right. the issue is the the medical establishment is is also a money making uh, enterprise. So they're telling uh, th- these kids with mental disorders that hey, you might be transgender and and trans you know changing your sex might you know fix your mental problem, and that's completely wrong. You know, there's kids. That, one of the big groups that they're targeting is autistic people. You know, they've they've got serious challenges, and they're telling them, "Well, we'll just transgender you, and maybe this will fix you." 
you know, and there's no evidence to that at all. It's just they 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 make money whenever they do these procedures, okay. and who's paying for it? Well, insurance companies and government and and whoever else, but uh, it's certainly not you know the autistic kid that can't hold a job. Okay, f- fair. Um, and I you know this is a smaller example, but when I was working at the gas station convenience store. Um, I was busted on like three separate occasions for selling cigarettes to minors. Mm-hmm. And I b- believe you, me, I was busted on three separate occasions. I didn't only do it on three separate occasions, right? Because on principle, if they have the money, they can oh, yeah. buy the product. Sure. And I don't care where they got the money. I don't care, you know, if they it was parental allowance, if they had a part-time job, if they begged in the streets, you know, if they blew somebody in the back room by the dumpster, Right to get cigarette money, like how they acquired the money uh, is of no consequence to me. The fact that they have it, um, I'm going to say through legitimate means, is is all I need. So and when when my when my grandpa uh, had had a, a bad knee, uh, the the government gave him seventy five thousand dollars worth of uh, knee repair, and he said, "Well, if they would have just given me the money, I would have went to the casino and had a bad knee still." Um, so my question is, and you can't really prove this, but you know, have your trans friend go back in time and uh, give her a uh, hundred thousand dollars and say, "Here, do whatever you want with it." Is uh, would that person, you know, buy a car, or a house, or whatever else, or would they yeah. spend it on trans transit issues? You know, it's like it's it's really hard. I mean, <laughs> there's a lot of things in, in in life to consider, and and just saying that you you wish something. Uh, shouldn't fall on everybody else's responsibility. Yeah, I'm not going to be able to answer for her, but her, her position was I knew well before puberty that I wanted to be a girl, and I was, you know, I, I, I had to go through this as a male because I wasn't able to make my own choices at the time. So if you had given what, her $100,000 then, she may have. Yeah, maybe, and that's yeah. the thing. Like, right. th- There's a lot of other things to consider. You know, may- maybe just having the money and being able to get out of the house. Maybe she was in an uncomfortable position at home. Yeah. Maybe not. I don't know. But that's like there's a lot of things in, in people's lives that they have to weigh. Right. And, Which and is, just say, just saying that the government can can you know pay for your transition, you know, they got people in jail claiming that they're opposite sex and then they get yeah the government to pay for it or or the military. It's it's so it's so messed up. It's like it's your body, you pay for it. Yeah, well, that also comes down to conditional giving, right? There, there are people that will won't give a homeless guy, you know, a dollar or two, but will buy him a burger. Well, if you're really hungry, let's go eat, right? Be- mm-hmm. Because I don't want you spending my money on drugs and alcohol, <laughs> right? Well, like fuck you, you know. Once you give him the money, that's it's his money. You know, he can do what yeah. he wants with it. <clears throat> yeah, and a lot of times, what they do is they'll take the food stamp card, you know, free food, and and they'll they'll sell that and get yeah. the drugs anyway. Yeah, I, you know. I, May I um, take this opportunity to take advantage of our Indian guest here? We were talking about Biden and Trump uh, earlier, and I'm wondering if uh, would you be interested in hearing about Narendra Modi um, and what their experience in India with this um, powerful ruler is compared to the American experience? Yeah, go for it. Uh, yeah, uh, so coming to Modi government, Modi is kind of a right wing and he has been like uh, very much uh, uh, 
making India to be a religious country right now. Hindutva is like on a very big sway in India. And recently we have actually built a Ram Mandir. So Rama is considered to be a god who actually established peace and prosperity all across the world. So it was actually uh, uh, prior to that, it was all the mosque which was there. Uh, we in India was like, uh, there was a lot of invasion in India uh, by various rulers and everything. So he is just like, uh, like just like uh, building the temples all across the India, then just destroying the mosque and everything. And he is considering this kind of a religious thing to be a old bank politics and actually drawing a lot of Hindus across the world in order to gain a support for him. This has been like a very silly thing going on in India right now. Okay, Modi is a, a kind of um, arrogant. It, it, do you, does, is there a Call challenge a to him? Is he is he considered to be um, uh, too old or too um, arrogant uh, to Religious rule? Or is, everybody loves him. He's a very popular guy. Yeah. You know. Well, I mean, if you've got the popular support, then that's that's the way politics works, right? Like if you know this goes this goes back to like the rules of the game. That's the rules of politics. If you enter into politics, he who has the most votes wins, or however the rules are set up with the electoral college here, right? Like that's that's the criteria for winning the game, and those are the consequences of losing the game. So if you you know if if he's got the popular vote, right, and he's doing these things, and you're like, well, I don't like what he's doing. Well, if you're going to enter into the realm of politics, you have to find a way to get the popular vote. Like that's that's the game. Outside from that, it goes back I, to, you know, the earlier conversation. Go ahead. Yeah, I think, Rich, you are uh, very much right, because he knows the strategy, like when to move what in order to gain the popular votes at yeah. what point of a time. So he has been playing this. Uh, this is the election year in India, and he's playing the game with the religion in order to get the popular votes from a lot of Hindus over there. And if there's a lot of them, you know, that's I'll, I'll parallel that to what's some people are claiming are going on here, right? It's the importation of immigrants, right? It's an invasion. There's a story somewhere, you know, calling it and call it what it is. It's an invasion where they're, they're letting in, you know, um, it's quote unquote illegals and convince and, and giving them voting rights and convincing them to vote Democrat, right? Like they're, they're playing the popular vote by importing uh, people's, uh, you know, who align with their position or that they can convince to align with their position through. I don't, I don't think they're actually going to convince them. I think they're just going to bribe them. <clears throat> no, just take their ballot and mail it in for them. Okay. Either way. Because they don't even know where they live yet. And they don't, the, the left doesn't really care. They'll just make up addresses in, in various counties that they need to win and they'll win. Either way, like they, you know, they, they need, I don't even think they need the names then. So that, you know, yeah, but either way, that's that's what the claim that's going on is, right? That's the claim of what's going on. They're bringing in the immigrants so that they can so that they can get on the welfare and vote Democrat, and then Democrats will have a permanent majority and will never lose the seat of power again. And we must fight against that with all our hearts and souls and beings, 
because we can't let them take over because they've they have figured out well, how to win the game. I'm I'm totally cool, cool with uh, uh, <clears throat> letting letting all of them immigrate in. I just think that whatever state wants to should be able to secede. So yeah, I'm with, know, you there. with with or without immigrants, you know. Well, and that that should have been fundamental to joining the union in the first place. Sure. Right? We agreed to join. We also reserved the right to leave. And then we had a civil war. And they said, nope, not allowed to leave. You are ours and ours forever. Let's let's try that again. Yeah, please. I'm like talking, you know, <laughs> if you're trying to get me to disagree with that, you're you know, talking to the wrong guy. I've been pitching that since before the boogaloo. Right on. <laughs> I think one more interesting feature of India is that India is like unitary with federal feature. So there is a central government and there is a state government. And there are various kind of lists like state list, central list. So mainly the defense or air force or let it be education, etc. comes under like the central list. And the state has a little... Uh, uh, tiny things to carry on like irrigation projects, agriculture. And there is a concurrent list which is like between both state and the central. A few aspects such as like state uh, state tax, central tax are like distributed between both of them. So when actually uh, Narendra Modi comes on to the win a popular vote and come on to the central level of the position, the state government which is not uh, okay with the central government or belong to a different party actually suffer in India. Because central government decides like where the funds should go. And if the state government is different than different party than the central one, they don't get the enough uh, uh, money and to run the state government. At the end of the day, anything apart from the central government party is a fall in India. This has been a kind of uh, a fear with, uh, amongst the, a lot of people. So they also intend to vote whatever is there in the central government in order to like get the funds and get the state keep going. So yeah. So the parallel there would be the you know the state or the central government um, stops accepting funds from the federal government and acts in the defense of the people of that area against the encroachment of the you know of Modi's federal government. Now, whether or not they're going to do what the Americans fear and send in the military and overthrow by force and, you know, retain that, that landmass uh, is always going to be a, either a hypothetical or a we'll see situation. Um, but, it, you know, here it's stop using their money, right? S start to find other ways to trade value with each other so that when it comes time to pay them, you you don't have to, or you can kick them out, or you can, again, defend when they show up. But if, if there are, like, unincorporated places in India where it's just federal control, you know, I, I would snatch that up right quick and in a hurry, uh, because then you only have to worry about one government uh, encroaching. Yeah. Uh, makes sense. And also I agree with uh, uh, you telling that there should be a like uh, uh, internal trade uh, creating a value among ourselves. So the thing is that one of the states in India that is the Bangalore, it's a very, it is called a Silicon Valley of India. And they have a very different regional party than compared to the central Narendra Modi because they are creating the value to the country and the city itself is booming with the entrepreneurship. There so there is a vast difference there we find 
with the politics or people and their behavior and the way they create the value. Yeah, and, but but again, it's not just the value creation; it's the you know the money that they're using to trade, mm-hmm. right? Like you you got to get off of the state issued currency and just give it back to them. You know, for for religious Christians, that's the whole like render render unto Caesar line, which is disputed, and I don't want to get into that again. But if you you know if you're not you if you give them back their money and say like we don't need you. We don't need your money. Mm-hmm. We don't need your defense. We don't need your guys in our area. Like, we got this and go. And they go like, well, we're going to shoot you then. And you can repel that threat, right? Then having alternative currencies to trade amongst each other, whatever that happens to be. You know, before mm-hmm. cryptocurrency got big, I was big into silver. Couldn't really afford gold. But, you know, there's, there's still How some... big is uh, cryptocurrency in India? No, cryptocurrency is not at all big because it is highly regulated. Mm. Um, so well, that little uh, Silicon even, Valley area should fix that and do it anyway, <laughs> <laughs> right? Like they've got the they've got the means and equipment. Yes, they do. Yeah, did get the means and equipment, but uh, right now it's booming. So hopefully there would be a cryptocurrency soon in India. Yeah, right on. And the, and I will reiterate this right before Bitcoin got big and regulated and on exchanges, it was the underground currency. Like it was it was. Uh, untouched by the government for us anarchists uh, and then once the bitcoin bros like used us in the early days and started asking for regulations they kind of jumped the shark in my opinion so whatever whatever they're doing in india right if you can if you can copy that model match that model and use whatever it is like i said i don't even care what it is before bitcoin there was silver and gold and you know whatever um Whatever it is, the the goal is to stop using their currency because that's that's what they dangle over everyone's head, right? And when they control the issuance of currency, they control the value that you can produce, right? All of a sudden, what you do is worth less simply because they flood the market with currency, and that's you know that's true across central banks around the world. That's why that dude in Argentina is catching some heat right now. Right, because he's trying to reverse that trend, uh, but in order, you know, in order, to, in order to turn the car around, you've got to slow it down first. So it's still going in the wrong direction, uh, but the hope is that his policies will turn it around. Starting with not doing business with the central banks and the and the World Economic Forum, right? Right? They're like, you know, Argentina's bad, and we're like, yes, yes, let him go. You know, figure it out. You know, if they're not beholden to the World Bank for you know for loans or whatever and they can just invite entrepreneurs into that area and i don't know if india can do the same thing but you get the entrepreneurs to bring in the capital right then then you can boom where everyone else is busting yeah i think overall india is doing pretty good right now um with the economy and stuff right yeah mm-hmm. well is, is that credit to modi then no no, no. credit okay. to the people but then that's a good time, right? If, it, if you're booming, that's a good time to use that capital to build up what I'll call a war chest, you know, to, to tell off the federal government, right? You, you're going to need something to repel them, whether it's bad press or whatever. And if, it's, if you're going to go the press route, you got to build the press, right? You got to invest in whatever it takes to get writers and editors and outlets and news and, you know, all those other things set up. So that you can be the alternate media there, 
you know, telling the truth to the people about, you know, what the federal, what their federal government is actually doing. And, and, it, and it takes, you know, entrepreneurship and capital to build those, to build those things up. And if you're, if you're in a, you know, if you're in a prosperous area, now's the time, right? Because it's, if once they see it, they'll try to take it. And if you let them take it, you don't get it back because they've got the guns. Probably more so in India. Yeah, uh, it totally makes sense. But uh, one more thing. Uh, so right now, the entrepreneurs right now in India are like very much the first generation. They have been like traveling across the world, like uh, trying to sell out their ideas, make their investments and everything. So how do we actually convince them like to come back or to change the world? to invest in the press or like to certainly contribute to the ideas of the liberty. So how do we actually make them towards the policy right now? Yeah, that's a good question. I don't have a good answer for that one. Whatever it takes, minus the violence. Well, uh, an economic principle that I want to touch on is that um, if you make India the most open country in the world, that it will become basically the, the, the hub of, of trade in the world. So if you lower taxes, uh, you know, imports, exports, to a point where it doesn't make sense to do business anywhere else, and that's, that's kind of what they're doing in uh, uh, Dubai. So they're trying to attract business by saying, hey, there's no tax here, just, just set up your shop here. Um, so that's the number one thing. And uh, the U.S. is kind of... Uh, Falling in that regard, every time something political happens, they want to impose sanctions and uh, import, export controls, and and that's going to hurt our economy in the long term. Um, so that uh, you know, that's one political point I would say is like like open up your economy and and then investment will happen there. And that's that's a great example. The Indians who left India and went to Hong Kong and Singapore and the United States all uh, excelled, exceeded the income levels of all the other native populations. They did extremely well on entrepreneurship. The whole of Silicon Valley owes its successes to the Indians who left India. All India has to do is uh, become that free market zone and they'll go back because they have a natural homeland uh, feeling about uh, the roots there. And they would go back if they if the government just got out of the way. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I accept that answer, but it almost sounds like it's kicking the can down one level, right? So if if you just got if all you have to do is get the government out of the way to reattract the entrepreneurs, right? The, the follow up question is, well, how do you get the government out of the way? Well, so you, first you you uh, convince the, the entre entrepreneurs that are going around the world that. The, you know, the reason why they're successful in other places is because they have the freedom to, to do that and to make more money in other places. And so you, you have to convince them that the right answer for India is to uh, lower trade barriers. And then, you know, because there are very rich, very famous uh, people from India okay. that, that, can, that can have uh, 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 persuasion uh, with, with government or, or even maybe come back and run for office. I don't really know how that works, but... Um, well, what's if they're entrepreneurs though? Like they're there to make money, and if if they're making excessive amounts of money in well, Singapore or China or Hong Kong, 
Well, sometimes entrepreneurs want to give back, and sometimes they do run for office. Okay. So I'm not saying even just run for office, but just make make the point to the politicians and 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 get the support of the people, and then the politicians will follow because that's okay. what they do. So I, I think the short answer then is prey on their emotions. Well, sure, <laughs> that's what <laughs> po politics is a lot. <laughs> By contrast, uh, it's my understanding that uh, Trump has promised to raise the tariffs of 10% across the board on everything coming into the country to protect American industry and jobs. <laughs> and Biden will compete with him to be, well, 11% will be better. <laughs> oh, no. Morons, all of them. And a lot of that isn't really up to them, but they can certainly uh, 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 make, make things move that way. So that, that is scary. Uh, so one thing, uh, like to play the emotions with the entrepreneurs and convince them, because a lot of entrepreneurs are already convinced. So when the entrepreneurs who are like settled abroad, uh, they want to like give back to the society in India. And they want to also promote like the education in a right sphere, uh, help in the upliftment and etc. But right now, government has something created like uh, FCRA. So it's uh, the Foreign Contribution Regulation Act. So so whatever the money that comes uh, from the foreign citizens, the NRA non-residents of India to other Indians, so they are like highly regulated, highly taxed. And if at all, you know, we uh, government sees that my organization is receiving such kind of a contribution, like I am completely kicked out from the market, <laughs> especially in the non-profits. And we have been like trying, uh, and uh, interestingly, the mother there is a charity in India has like completely right now not working because the government uh, completely stopped the funding from the foreign sources in India. So right now the point here is that we need to move away the government regulations. It's not, uh, it's um, it's important to convince the entrepreneurs to contribute. So, but when entrepreneurs are seeing such kind of hindrances, they are not like, do they know like I am doing some value, uh, valuable work in India, but they are not ready to invest in me, with me because they think that, oh, no, we would be indefinitely in trouble. So better <laughs> we stay away from it. Yeah. I mean, for me, I'm, I'm the anarchist on the show, right? So when, the, the fundamental issue with what you just said for me um, is the nonprofits are registered with the state, right? They, they get, they're under that domain, which means you got to play by those rules. So make another group that is outside, yeah. that's not registered, and say donate to them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Then, they'll, then the government will follow the money and arrest them. <laughs> what not, if, if that, it's foreign money coming out from the foreign, it's just a bank account somewhere. Then you find a way you use crypto and, and yeah, anyway. yeah. yeah. I mean that that's it. That's that's you know uh, fundament again fundamentally, if you enter into the system, you play by those rules, and so the only way you have any sort of of moral position to say like I don't have to follow those rules because I never entered into that game, is to stay out of the game, which means finding those alternative means. Right, you know, figure out how to start crypto. You know, get a Bitcoin wallet while you're here and take it back there, right? And don't fucking tell anybody about it except you know those people who are willing to donate to your cause, and have them donate that way, right? It's it's yeah. going to take. Yeah, there's not there's not too many people that would buy it in India though. That's the, the issue. 
well, help her set it up on an exchange while you're here, man. <laughs> then, she, then, she, then she can well, sell if she's it. On it. If she's on an exchange, then it would be tracked. And that's kind of like the exchanges are a, a bridge between the non-system and the system. And, and they do report on people and stuff like that. Okay. Well, then start convincing other people to take cryptocurrency as a form of payment. Sure. Right? Like, you know, th this is always my example when it comes to the, the United States dollar. I don't know how it is there. Um, the United States dollar used to be denominated in silver, right? Mm -hmm. It's a one silver certificate, right, on the dollar. And then overnight, I mean, not really overnight, but overnight they changed it to say Federal Reserve note. But they made the Federal Reserve note look exactly like the dollar. So there's no, to the average eye, you couldn't distinguish between a silver certificate and a Federal Reserve note. And they basically tricked people, right? But they tricked people for so long that all the Federal Reserve notes are still in circulation, right? Like that's just the currency of the land. So at some point, if you want to get people to use Bitcoin, right, you, you have to start, you have to get it circulating. And you have to get it circulating to the point where it just becomes what's used amongst your community and is not used within the government. Then it doesn't matter whether or not you're on an exchange because you're not going to cash it out for, uh, was it rupees or whatever? Ru ruples? Rupees. Oh, rupees. Rupees. All right. Whatever it is. You're not going to cash it out. You're just going to continue to trade with people who are willing to trade um, in Bitcoin. And then it just becomes the de facto currency for, for that area. Do some people use, uh, do, make exchanges with others in cryptocurrencies in India at all? Not at no, all. Uh, okay. it's not popular in India. No. Mm -hmm. Even anarchists who are in India right now, uh, there is some kind of a taxation with the crypto. So the last time when I had a discussion with them uh, regarding how we can get away with the FCRA and then use the Bitcoin, the similar topic we are discussing right now, they are like, no, it's uh, not a healthy thing to do right now. They're wrong. There's, uh, let's see, there's poison and then there's cryptocurrencies to kill you. <laughs> yeah. You know, they're absolutely wrong, right? Like, it, that's that's the way out. It's dangerous way out, but it's also dangerous to stay in and, you know, be under the yoke of the state for however long you want to be in existence. And if so they're Gandhi not... Gandhi took you know, on that with salt, right? <laughs> 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 it's dangerous not to use the government's monopoly salt. Yeah. Um, but I mean, did. here we have Bitcoin Pizza Day, right? The 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 time the guy traded twenty thousand Bitcoin for two Domino's pizzas, it's celebrated as a holiday because that was the proof of concept, right? He traded he traded Bitcoin for something else of value in this case, two Domino's pizzas. But but before and that, now it was regretting a that trade. But, no, I guess Maybe. it, it no, made it cares? possible, but it also... Yeah. <laughs> okay, he traded 20 bucks, right? He, he traded 20 bucks for 20,000 Bitcoin, then traded 20,000 Bitcoin for two pizzas, right? Mm -hmm. If he had the 20 bucks that he would have spent on the pizza, he goes back and buys 20,000 Bitcoin, and it's just a math problem, right? Like, if, if, you if you continuously replenish your stock, you're not wasting anything. You're just doing activism by spending it, right? Like, I, you know, I... Uh, in Keene, there's a couple of places that still take cryptocurrency. So, you, you know, because people are on exchanges and wallets or whatever, they, they, they transfer their food money from their bank account into their crypto wallet, and then they buy dinner at a discount, right? Like, they could have just spent the money, 
but they wanted to make a point by using crypto. So they bought the crypto first and then spent the crypto. Or vice versa. They spent the crypto, then went to the bank and transferred the money back in, and it's a wash. So there's no the, – the guy who spent 20,000 Bitcoin uh, on two pizzas – likely got that 20,000 Bitcoin back right quick, you know, soon thereafter, if he believed in it, but it still required someone doing it, right? And so if, you know, if you can get that started in India, India will have their own Bitcoin pizza day, right? As the, as the day people started transacting in Bitcoin, um, because it's a, you know, it's a non-inflationary currency um, that lets keep, let, that lets everyone retain their value unlike a central bank currency, but it's, it's grassroots, right? It required a whole bunch of people just mining the shit out of it in the beginning, not knowing what they were going to do with it. And I was one for like two weeks on a netbook because I didn't know better, right? I heard about this Bitcoin thing. I installed it, you know, before that I did um, a SETI at home, right? And they're like, oh, you're, you're giving your CPU power to the people looking for aliens, and there was another one I had lo- uh, on my PS3 for, like, protein folding. Um, but those, like, you could actively see stuff that was going on, right? Like, I earned points, and they told me how many proteins I folded that day by giving away my CPU power. Well, I let Bitcoin use my CPU power for two weeks, and I got nothing. And I went, well, this is dumb. And I turned mm-hmm. it off for a few years. And then it started to take off, and I was like, well, crap, missed the boat on that one at least early on. But, you know, it, my, my point is, like, someone has to do it early. And the people who were doing it early, right, like, oh, yeah, I just mined, like, you know, 50 Bitcoin or 50,000 Bitcoin overnight, whatever it happened to be, you know, they got in early. And if, if it's not taken off in India, it's still early. And if you can get some and get people to accept it for trade and, you know, when they want to redeem it, right, they can give it back to you for something of value that you're producing, Right. But the, the trade has to start at the grassroots level. The government isn't going to overnight deregulate it because they see it as a threat and they're not going to mandate it because they see it as a threat. So it has to start underground um, as an activist tool for people looking for more freedom and liberty. Yes, that is right. Final thoughts? Uh, no. All right. It was good to have you. Uh, but that'll do it for us then. You guys know where to find us, anarchistexperience.com, on Telegram, t.me slash anarchistexperience, or t.me slash theanarchistexperience. And if you would like to contribute to this show financially, you can do so through Patreon, patreon.com slash theanarchistexperience. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll talk to you all next week. Peace. Aloha. <laughs> Sorry. Now for the Indian crowd.